This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show. Oh, no, wait. I can't take this from you, Brandon. Why don't you take this one? Ah, oh, you're a good guy. All right. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 205. Our first house we bought for 14500 We did the burst strategy on it. We rolled into the next few. We rolled into the next few. And five years later, we bought a $2 million apartment building. And we don't have any other outside income. We used the real estate money to snowball. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Dave Meyer, guest host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. What's going on, man? Hey, pretty good. Well, you did that almost as good as Mindy did it last week. You know, that was, that was really <laughs> I know. There's a lot of big shoes to fill. First Josh, then Mindy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know there's a lot of pressure here. <laughs> I know you are. Well, I'm super excited to have you as the host today. Uh, Josh is out with some family medical issues, emergency, I guess. So the next the, today's show and next week's show, we got you and me hanging out here. So uh, everybody keep Josh in your, in your good thoughts and prayers and all that and Absolutely. his family. And he'll be back shortly. So we can handle this. You and I, we got this, right? I, I think we got this going pretty well. So what's going on? How was your Thanksgiving? It was, it was good. I went to Minnesota, hung out with the family. You know, that's always fun. Uh-huh. What about you? I went back to uh, Providence where my sister lives and it was great. Lots of food, good family, uh, but back to work now. There you go, back to work. Yeah, and I, of course, every time I go home to Minnesota, my, my sister's got five kids, and so all oh. under the age of five, like five, well, five, four, three, two, and one. And so you can imagine every time I go there to hang out with those kids, I get sick every time. So, <laughs> like, it's just like kids are like, Rose? I did bring Rosie. She did not get sick, surprisingly, but I did. Wow, strong immune system. You're I raising guess so. it well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got I got a good old cold going. So you know, whatever it happens. Well, welcome back. We're glad to have you back, and hopefully, we can take this podcast down. Yeah, I think we can. This is a this was a, a really good show. We just got done interviewing uh, our guest today. Fantastic show. We're talking with Jared Sturm. I hope I'm saying his last name right. Uh, we actually had him on the show back at what was it number one twenty four? I think back what year and a half, two years ago, almost now. And at the time, that was one of our more popular shows of all time because. He was only like 24, 25 when he got like, I mean, when he was on the show, I mean, he's like 26 now. I mean, he was just crushing it back then. But back then he was doing all his own work himself. You know, if people want to listen to that show, they can go back and listen at biggerpockets.com slash show 124. But he was doing everything himself with his partners, but all the labor, all the fixing up, everything like that. Uh, But today his business is quite a bit different and they've really made some uh, huge turns in their business, which is pretty cool. It's awesome. I mean, it's a really inspiring story to hear just how successful he's been over the last couple of years. And I was shocked to hear that he was 26 years old. I mean, aside from maybe Scott Trench, who works at Bigger (laughs) Pockets, he is the most mature 26-year-old I've ever talked to. Yeah, he gets it. And got a great perspective on not only real estate, but life and giving back to the community. And just a really interesting guy. I think you're going to really enjoy this show. Yeah. And I especially loved his discussion. Towards the end of the show, we talk about how he negotiated on this big apartment complex purchase with the commercial loan department of this bank. He like negotiated like every single aspect, ended up getting $100,000 off his down payment, basically, like negotiated away 100 grand. Amazing. That's an unbelievable story. I mean, I can't believe he actually succeeded at that. We I might know. need to. 
pulled him in on future negotiations. I know, I know. I was clearly like, very good at it. Yeah, next time I need a bank loan, I'm going to have him come in and pretend to be me. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly. Anyway, well, you guys, well, you'll listen to that in just a minute. But before we get to the actual show, uh, we had a couple quick housekeeping things to get up. So first of all, let's get to today's quick tip. All right. Today's quick tip is if you are ready to really dig into any particular subject, go to the Bigger Pockets guides. You can go to biggerpockets.com and under the education tab, just click on guides. There you can see the ultimate beginner's guide, of course, very popular, how to rent your house, how to start wholesaling. If you are new to real estate, this is an excellent way to really dig on in on a particular topic and sort of get your bearings before digging into other aspects of the business. Yeah, and they're really expensive though, aren't they? Oh, they are <laughs> extremely free. Oh, okay. They are as free as they get. <laughs> they are as free as they get. Yeah, free guides. So, yeah. So go Very check cool. those out. You have no reason not to. And they're right there on biggerpockets.com. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, good deal. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com BP. Connectinvest.com BP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day, plus Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, 
investor like me to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. So let's get into the show. Like I said earlier, Jared Sturm, uh, he is amazing. Him and his partners are doing some really awesome things out there in the Midwest and moving, actually. Uh, they're investing over to another city as well, which we talk about. Uh, but Jared, like I said, young guy, crushing it in real estate. We're really excited to bring you guys an interview with him today. So let's just jump right into it. Awesome. All right, Jared, welcome to the show again. How you doing? Doing great. I'm happy to be back. It's been, I guess, almost two years, but I'm happy to join you guys again. Very cool. Very cool. Nice to have you on, man. Yeah, yeah, this should be fun. So why don't we, why don't we go back? I and mean, you know, a lot of people listen to the show today. The Bigger Pockets podcast today is getting well over 100,000 listens per episode, if not 120, 30, 150. I mean, we've grown quite a bit since you were last on the show. So a lot of those people listening today have never actually heard your previous show. So can you give us just a recap of who you are, how you got started, and you know, kind of how you got into this game? Yeah. So I got my start in real estate at 17 is where I kind of dipped my toe. And I started as a handyman for a local real estate investor, working on his rentals, just doing pretty much whatever he needed done. I learned that learned the interest in real estate and got my interest sparked through doing that. Used the skills that I learned as a handyman, developed them into a construction company that I started with my brother that we ran through college. And doing the construction on other people's homes kitchens, bathrooms, additions, that allowed us to save up some capital as we went through college. And the, right as we graduated, we did not go get W-2 jobs. What we decided to do was roll those funds from the construction company that we had saved up into buying single family houses that were really distressed and use our skills in contracting to start fixing those up. So we did quite a few single family houses, then started to do duplexes. And then we got a five unit and then slowly have made our way up to uh, apartment complex with the most recent purchase of a 42 unit. And that is our goal to continue in the multifamilies. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, That's so, great, man. So can you tell me a little bit about what market you're in and how it's changed over the last couple of years? Yeah. So we started in Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's where I'm born and raised, started the company there. And our portfolio is still in Cincinnati, Ohio. But then about two years ago, we made the decision that we would probably start buying larger multis and doing that through syndications. So we wanted to open it up into a market that's strong cash flow, as well as a market that has more potential for growth than Cincinnati does. So we made the decision to move down to the Atlanta market as well. So now we're playing in two markets, the Atlanta market and surrounding, as well as the Cincinnati, Ohio and surrounding. But most of our experience and a lot of the stories you'll probably hear from my past is uh, the Cincinnati market. So what is it about the Cincinnati market that made you feel there wasn't a lot of room for growth? And what are you seeing in Atlanta that has got you so excited? A simple answer would just be net migration. So Cincinnati does have larger corporations like Procter & Gamble, GE headquartered here. But as, as far as the net migration goes, it's stagnant. There's just People aren't coming in where down in Atlanta, the quality of life, but the cost of living is still very good. And so just like Texas, you're getting a lot of people coming in. Corporations are headquartering there. Jobs are located there, which is pulling in the millennial generation. And uh, as we all know, they're tending to rent more. So the apartment complex model lent to the Atlanta market. 
Not to say that Cincinnati isn't. It's just a different market and lends more possibilities for growth than Cincinnati does, but Cincinnati has stronger cash flow. So it's just really what our investors are looking for. Okay, okay. So I, I think that's fascinating that you chose a different market because that's something I've been thinking about doing as well, getting away from my little, you know, Grace Harbor, Washington market and getting elsewhere, <laughs> right? So I've been, I've been having this like reoccurring like fear lately of what if a tsunami came and wiped out everything that I have? But I, <laughs> I, I probably should diversify a little bit, you know, I mean, some of my houses are on a hill, but most of them are down in the uh, flat area. So, all right. So how did you decide? I mean, what made you, there's a lot of good cities that have growth, that have, you know, movement in them. What made you choose Atlanta and said, that's the one I'm going to, or was it just, it was available, there was a deal there? Well, no, we haven't purchased anything there. Okay. And the answer behind that would be more so on my brother, who's my business partner, his formal education. He did the construction with me, but his formal education is economics with a focus in real estate. So he's the one that will do more of the market analysis and dig into those net migration numbers and sub markets within them. And we saw that, you know, those numbers of the, the cost of living comparing to the quality of life and all his data that he put together, we put a pin in the map and said, let's shoot for Atlanta. There was there was other options, you know, around in Texas and were a lot of good options, but we decided that that market would fit us best. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And so you guys are, you're planning to go moving forward from now, you're going to start looking at Atlanta primarily. Is that what you're saying? No. So just sourcing both markets. One of my partners is still in Cincinnati and able to oversee, you know, whatever we're doing here. And then I, myself and my other partner went ahead and moved down to the Atlanta market. To oh, put I see. You actually ground. moved. You actually moved oh, there. Wow. I, I, I yeah. either missed that or we glossed over it. But uh, <laughs> all right. So you moved to Atlanta. You're going to start looking there, um, but you're also keeping the old thing going. So that kind of begs the question. You mentioned partners. Um, can you kind of give us a recap? How does your business work? How's it structured? Just you and your brother, or you have other people involved? So there's three partners total. And we're uh, equal partners in our business, but there's myself, my brother, and then a third guy named Coleman. So in the syndication business that we're focused on now, the roles are kind of split up where I'm sales and marketing, dealing with the investors and bringing on the equity. And then my brother, his formal education is real estate economics. So he's doing acquisitions, market analysis, and things like that. Coleman, his background is in accounting. He's a CPA. So he does asset management and the financials behind the company. Makes sense. When you're talking about syndication, I think this is a question we get on Bigger Pockets all the time is how do you even go about starting something like that? Finding people who want to buy deals, networking, finding financing for these kind of deals. Where did you even start transitioning from using your own capital to trying to use other people's capital? Yeah, well, it's new to us even. So kind of looking back at our story of starting in the single families, then slowly getting into duplexes, then the small multis, and then going into larger stuff that, you know, I kind of glazed over it. It sounded like a quick process, but really it was, you know, five years of full time, a lot of work grinding it out. It's not, it wasn't easy in any, any fashion. And all of that was done with our own capital. And we did that for a couple reasons, but mostly because how we viewed capital was that is money that someone traded their time to earn. So we wanted to prove our own concept with our own money and prove we could do it before we ever went out and said, hey, everyone, you know, are you interested in investing in our company? So uh, how did we get to that point? It was slow and methodical. Um, we knew that's where we wanted to end up. But just to go out and say, I would love to own, you know, 100 unit plus apartment complexes and who wants to give me money, it never would have been successful. So it was a, a five year grind to get to that point 
to feel like we were worthy of even asking for it. That's really interesting because I feel like a lot of people want to start with syndication and then eventually go to using their own capital and sort of being on their own and more independent. So it sounds like you had the goal of becoming uh, a syndication channel. Why was that your goal when you were starting out? Well, our goal was to buy large apartment complex. I don't know if syndication, syndication was always an option, but as we got closer to it, we saw the possibilities that it could give in growth. But even more so, it gives us a, a fulfillment that doing it on our own can't. So I wrote a blog for Bigger Pockets the other day that the one of the reasons behind syndication for us was we're able to reach a level of self-fulfillment that I feel like is cap- is possible through syndication. So what I mean by that is, could I reach my financial freedom on my own without raising money from equity investors? And the answer is yes. Uh, I live a pretty simple life. I'm a simple guy. So I'm only 26 now and I'm pretty close to that number already. So if I just took my foot off the gas and coasted to 30, I'm probably going to hit it because it's a pretty basic lifestyle that I enjoy. So why even bother doing the syndication? It's just a lot of extra work. I got to learn the whole business model. And the answer really is because I think financial success and like self-fulfillment or spiritual fulfillment, whatever you want to call it, is a very different thing. So for me, self-fulfillment or spiritual fulfillment is how can you be the best you can be while also helping others be the best they can be? And for me, I've found this niche in real estate that I've had very good luck in and have proved myself over and over. And so I think I can help others who maybe don't have the channels to find the returns or even if it's just advice writing on the blog. I do it, you know, every two weeks I write a nice long blog to help others out. And that's really one of the reasons for syndication is because it gives us an ability of self-fulfillment more so than just, oh, we need money. I think that's a fascinating topic because, yeah, I mean, you don't need to, I've been thinking all about my, my own life later, lately, but like, I don't need to keep building bigger and better stuff. You don't need to go into a hundred unit, 200 unit. Like we don't need to do that. It kind of reminds me of like when we talked to Grant Cardone back on show 108, you know, he, he talked a lot about that kind of same topic. You don't need to get richer and richer and richer, but it's not even about getting richer and richer and richer. It's about like, are you fulfilling your potential? Are you doing what you like to do? That self-fulfillment versus, Hey, I've got my 30 properties. They're cash flowing. I'm going to sit down and just and coast. I'm going to go work at McDonald's for the next 40 years of my life because <laughs> I hit that goal, right? It's interesting uh, perspective, I guess. And I, and I think like, obviously, when you're just starting out, yeah, having that financial freedom goal, having a number there is great. It's important to know where you're getting to. But that's not the goal of life to get to that point either, I don't think. Right. And to that point is, that's kind of like, what what is your why? You know, everyone always mentions that. What is your why? Yeah. And I, mine has evolved over time drastically. In the beginning, like the first five, six properties, it was like my why was because I need to eat and (laughs) I need a roof over my head. And, you know, if you're thinking of like the uh, hierarchy of human needs or Maslow's, I think it's called, like in the beginning, that was my why. Like I got to feed myself, I need a roof. And then the next one was like, oh, I want to set a foundation to start a family on. And it's like, okay, well, I have enough to do that. And then it was like, oh, well, no, I want financial freedom then I won't ever have to, you know, trade my time for money. And and then I was like, okay, well, I can see that, you know, I'm not there yet, but I can see in the future, like, this is, this is going to happen. This is very achievable. So it was like, well, why, my why then shifted into uh, more of the self-fulfillment, helping others. And how can I do that? How can I do that the best I can do it? 
And for me, that's real estate. So that's why I continue to push on and that's why we're exploring this business model. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So let's go back a little bit and go back to the last show. We talked to you a lot about how you got started, you know, how you found your first few deals. We did all that. At the time, I don't remember how many units you had. I think you had like 20 total units or something like that when we had you on. You mentioned yeah. now you bought an apartment complex. I definitely want to dig into that here in a minute. But can you kind of fill us in on like the last year and a half? So for those people who heard the last show, and if you haven't, go listen to it at biggerpockets.com slash show 124. Uh, but uh, for those who have heard that, what have you done in the last year and a half? What's changed in your business? Where have you taken it? Uh, what's that kind of look like? I mean, flipping, rentals, what have you been doing? Yeah, so at the end of 2014, we noticed prices climbing quickly in the Cincinnati market, or at least as we thought that was quickly, because we started back in the end of 2011. So we were used to, low prices. That's like what we came into. And so we were thinking, oh, this is crazy. Who can pay this? So we thought, let's like jump on this trend upward and switch our strategy over to fix and flip. So our background in construction and contracting was a very easy transition into that. So we were pretty much fixing and flipping these rentals. We were just holding on to them rather than selling them. So all we did was we upped the purchase price into better retail areas and we started flipping. And so in 2015, we just hit the ground running with flips. We did 17 flips Whoa. that year and never had done any before. Our average sale price was 176000 So we did just under, just right around $3 million in flips just in 2015, and then we were out. And the reason we did that is because the flips was just a way for us to make money to get to that ultimate goal of apartment buildings. And so we made really good money. We were very hands-on in the flips, you know, even doing some of the work ourselves. Obviously, with 17 in a year, we couldn't do it all, but uh, doing a lot of it. So it just pushed our margins greater and greater. But then we took that money, the money from our rentals previously, and then took the money from the flips and just kind of pushed all in again and bought just the apartment complex, which was just over $2 million with our own funds, which is, it was a lot for us. And it was just like a, a big pill to swallow, but we, we, we did it and we're excited to take that on. Wow. So, so basically you flipped your way into an apartment complex with your own, I mean like with your own money, which is something that people talk about all the time. And I think is very, very cool. Yeah. And it, uh, in the last podcast we had just started when I recorded the last podcast, we had just started doing our flips and when you, one of the questions you asked was like, what sets apart the successful yeah. from those who quit? And my answer was like self-discipline because at the time in that year, in 2015, you know, my net worth quadrupled. I was making more money than I ever had in the previous 24 years of my life. So the self-discipline to just be like, uh, we're not going to take any of it. And literally all of it goes back <laughs> into an apartment complex yeah. was something that was at the forefront of my mind. So that's why I answered that question then. Because I was like, oh, this would be nice to go use, but now we just put it back to use in investments. All right, so let's let's dig in on that because most people would not have the discipline to do that. I would say most people, if they suddenly quadrupled their income, they would go out and buy a better <laughs> house, a better car. They'd go buy that Tesla that they I'd wanted. I'd be out of here. By yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like very different. Like how how does somebody, retired? Yeah, retired. I'm done. I'm you know like I got all this money. So. How did you guys, was it, do you think it helped to have in the partnership? You guys were all on that same page there together, or are you just a really disciplined guy? A little bit of everything. I think all those points that you hit on, but it's hard to explain, but it almost felt like it wasn't ours to spend. It was like, oh no, this is the businesses. It's business money. And since the beginning, it's always been like that. Yeah. All the rents come in and they go back into buying the next one. So it's kind of just how we've lived and we've learned to live that way. You know, we had talked about it. I said, 
you know, if we start taking money out of this thing and we start paying ourselves, it's going to be hard to go back. You know, it's, you, you get used to that lifestyle. So let's, let's hold off as long as we possibly can. And, you know, I have to give praise to, you know, our business partner, my business partner and my wife, because I'm not exaggerating when I said 100% went back in, 100% did, and they supported us through it. So, you know, my wife's a school teacher. We lived off that salary. And like I said, the life that I enjoy is, is pretty simple. So that I don't need more than that. So, yeah, it was a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, but a lot of discipline and uh, just it always felt like eh, it's not ours to spend. We got to put it back in. And this is the goal. And just this is what we do. I think that's cool where you mentioned the, the it, it's business income. When you when you can separate that in your mind, I think that's key, both for rental and for flipping. Like, you know, that's why I, I kind of recommend a lot of times even when people want to manage their own properties, that's great. But I would still like set aside money for property management and then just pay yourself a property management fee or whatever and then maybe give just distributions at the end of the year or whatever. You know, just keeping that separate in your mind keeps it from this is just a hobby or this is just money coming in. I can go spend it how I want to, to keeping it very business focused. And I think that's a, a key to growing any kind of business. That's actually exactly what I do because I self-manage as well. And I set aside what I would have to pay a property manager and pay myself that amount. So in the future, as I accumulate more properties, I plan to just shift that over to someone else. But that way, at least I know what's mine, what's the businesses, what can be reinvested and what's going to need to be allocated for more professional management in the future. Yeah. And, and, um, and with the 42 unit, you know, we knew we were looking in that one to $3 million price range and uh, we were going to get leverage on it. But even with leverage, that's a whole lot of money to, that was a lot of money for us to put down on that building. So one of the things that we did in preparation for buying this 42 unit building was try to get our ducks in a row so we could look better for banks. And we've worked with our primary lender is just a portfolio lender in the Cincinnati area. But one thing we did was we shifted our business accounts into their bank almost a year prior to purchasing this property because we were doing cash out refis on some of our previous rentals. And as most of the listeners might know, that's not a taxable event, so it doesn't show up on your tax returns. So what we were doing was we were letting them watch our finances go in and out, the flip money go in and out, you know, it would go out, mm. it would come back more, it would go out, it would come back more. And so we were trying to give them more confidence in us than what we could produce on a tax return. And so we shifted all that over there. And that really, I think, helped us a lot get this financing for this deal, because on paper, it might have been difficult to underwrite us for a, a $1.8 million loan. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about the 42 unit that you bought? How did you find it? How was it? Well, you told us a little bit about how it's financed, but can you tell us a little more details about that deal? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll dig into it. So sourcing leads was different because the multifamily apartment industry kind of sits separate from the one to four unit stuff. So it was new to us. And what I did to find leads was I built a list of all the brokers who had anything listed in Cincinnati. And then I also went to the auditor site and built a list of anyone who had bought a 20 unit or more in Cincinnati in the past 15 years. And then I scrounged to get phone numbers and I called, I started out like, oh, I'm going to call 20 a day. And <laughs> I would, I would burn out because it would be like, uh, just so many no's or, you know, just like, oh yeah, sure. I'll let you know. So then I pared it down to, I'll call three brokers and three owners. And that's what I just did every day. And I would add to the list and then I would just rotate. And so 
with this 42 unit, it was about three months into me looking for a deal. And of course, we looked at lots of them, but they just didn't pan out or our offers didn't stick. And three months in, I called one of the biggest brokers in Cincinnati, does the most volume, and I just said, hey, I know we talked about a couple months ago, and I want to see what's see what's on your radar or what's coming up. And he said, actually, a deal that fits your criteria perfect is about to fall out of contract tomorrow officially. And I said, well, where's it at? I'll go look at it tomorrow. Can I meet you? We'll go there today. What do you got? Send me the financials. And so he sent it to me. And then the very next day we went and looked at it. And like all real estate, big or small, we knew if it works, we need to be able to pull the trigger fast. So that was how we found the 42 unit was just through cold calling. And we saw opportunity in it that I think some of the other potential buyers missed. And we saw that opportunity by using our background in management as well as our background in construction. And so I can kind of jump to that if you guys would like. Oh, I I mean, I think that's awesome. It's just kind of proof that you make your own luck. Like you could say you got really lucky that it was going to, it fell through the day after you were calling about it. But if you hadn't been calling, there's no way you would have known about that. So good for you for hustling like that and obviously found a great deal because of it. I was just curious before you jump into the next part is, can you tell me a little bit more about the criteria that you were using when you were making these cold calls? What were you asking the brokers for and how did you go about developing that criteria that you were looking for? Yeah, that's a really good question. And one thing I did to help with that process was I put not all of the criteria, but most of the basic points into just a PDF that I could, after our phone call, I would just be like, oh, well, I'm going to send it to you just so you have it. And so they were very basic bullet points. You know, we're looking from, you know, one to three million C to B class properties and looking for a seven cap and above is I think what it was at that time. And in the lower cap rates, we wanted a value add proposition, but we're looking for it in pretty much all of the deals. Something that the brokers mentioned that they don't always see that I wrote in there, and I think it's because of my construction background, is I wrote a lot of things about the building, the structure itself. So I wanted pitched roofs. I didn't want flat roofs. I wanted something with PVC drain lines. A brick exterior was preferred and vinyl windows. So norm, they said normally they're not seeing that in the initial conversation. And I don't know if it helped, but it may have caught their attention just to say like, oh, it's, this is different. So those were those were like the basic bullet points of it. And then we, of course, had more detailed stuff in our own underwriting. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think there is a tremendous amount of value in being specific on things. Because, you know, like, I think I've even said this on the podcast before, but somebody... I don't remember who it was, once told me, like, when you're looking for a job, if you were to go tell all your family and friends, hey, guys, I'm looking for a job, everyone would be like, well, good for you. But if you're like, hey, guys, I'm looking for an accounting job that is within 30-mile radius of Minneapolis, all of a sudden people start thinking, like, okay, how do I, like, do I know anybody that's within 30 miles of Minneapolis? And people start using their heads, right? So the more specific you are, it actually helps you because people start thinking, oh, do I know anything like that that can help this guy out? Because people want to help other people out naturally. And so when you can give them a specific way to do it, I think it's a fantastic suggestion. I love that. So what else were you looking for in the actual building? You said that you noticed some things that other investors probably didn't see. What were the things that you saw in this 42 unit that made you say, I got to jump on this deal? That's a good question. Yeah. So from all on paper, this was a stabilized property. Uh, I think occupancy was hovering around 95%. So on paper, it was stabilized. But when we walked into the units, one of the first things that we noticed was This would be very easy to submeter the water. The previous landlord had just started to implement rubs. And so only a few of the residents were on it, but not all of them. And we walked in and it was like, 
you literally can cut the pipe right here and just slide a meter in and it's as easy as that. So then we started to dig into that value add proposition and how we could play off of it. And another uh, something that came of that, if we were to submeter, we realized that there was washer and dryer hookups in every single individual apartment. And the previous owner said, oh, no, we don't do anything with washers and dryers because we don't want to pay for the water that they'll run one shirt if it's in their unit. And so we said, OK, let's let's consider if we submeter the water, we'll we'll then consider renting washers and dryers to each unit and charging for that, further boosting our NOI. And uh, because of that value add, another door opened up and our common area laundry rooms in the building would then be something that we didn't need anymore or we wouldn't want to have anymore because then it would incentivize, if you take it away, it incentivize the residents to rent your units. So those laundry rooms would then be empty rooms and there's two in each building. So we said, what can we do with those? And in our due diligence, we interviewed all of the residents and said, what would make your living experience better living here? And they said, more storage. So we said, all right, well, there's our opportunity on the laundry rooms. So we, we ended up building storage units in those laundry rooms and renting those out for $25 a month in addition. So these value adds were something that we saw because of our background in construction as well as our background in management that other people just looked at it and said, oh, it's stabilized. You know, the rents are at market rent, so there's nothing we can do. And we just dug a little bit deeper. And I hope to be able to recreate this kind of deal over and over in future stuff. But this one is going to be, if everything goes exactly as planned, which it, so far it is, you know, we'll be able to refi at the end of year two and pull 100% of our money back out just from those minor tweaks, uh, the main one being the water. But those submeters only cost us, I think it was $189 per unit installed. And they're read through Wi-Fi and a company can read them at their offices and then send out the billing and do all the collections and everything. So we don't even have to deal with anything. So, yeah, I love it. I love this topic. We talked about this a long time ago back on, I don't even know what show, it was 60-something with Serge Shukat because he uh, did a very similar strategy. So we'll link to that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show. 205, I'll link to that episode. But I want, I want to dig in on that a little bit. So you mentioned rubs, which for those people who are not familiar with, it's a way of uh, metering separately each unit and billing each tenant for what they actually use on the water. Now, do you, in that property, are you sub-metering, like are you, I should say, are you metering just like the hot water and then prorating it based on that? Or do you meter all the water? I mean, is it completely separate for each unit? Do you know, do you know what I mean? I've heard people doing both ways. Yeah, so that's kind of what I meant when, our background and our experience in plumbing, we walked in and we were like, this entire unit has its own dedicated water line. So we're submetered on cold and hot and okay. it has its own hot water heater. So uh, at this point, we don't pay any water where before the water bill was $29,000. So that swing in NOI makes a huge impact. Huge, yeah. And, and we feared... Um, you know what? What will that do if you if you make the residents pay that? And yeah. one thing we're doing is we're keeping the rent stagnant for the first two years. You know, no rent increases in that. But we met with some other investors in the area who had done it and asking, you know, what what will happen? How did it go? And one thing we really liked about it is water consumption as a whole for the property goes down 30% when you submeter. So wow. you're decreasing your expenses as a landlord X, but you're only increasing your residents' expenses you know, 70% of X. So it doesn't have as big of an impact. Now we've already completed all the submeters and we didn't lose a single tenant over it. So uh, we made them aware of it. We were slowly putting them in 
and we said they'll go active at this date and everyone seemed to understand and and we kind of pitched it or framed it as now you have the opportunity to you know save money if you want to use less will affect you positively that's amazing. That's really fantastic. I mean, uh, I, I mentioned that yeah, back in like show 60, which was like two and a half years ago. I, I would love to do that in my apartment complex. The reason I didn't is because the water lines are so convoluted in there. So like, you know, the hot water, I mean, the hot water is separate. The cold water though is just, you know, the upstairs will share with the downstairs on the same cold line. So I couldn't separate it. Now, like I said earlier, I could do it just on the hot water and just monitor hot water usage and then bill them proportionally based on that. But it felt a little weird to do it, and I just I, I never did it. But I, I took my triplex last month, and I just we sent out a letter to everybody and said, hey, by the way, you guys are now responsible for your own water sewer garbage. Nobody left. Nobody cared. I mean, it added like $100 a month to their bills, but nobody said a word. I mean, nothing. They just wow. took it. Like, and I'm like, why didn't I do that years ago on that property? <laughs> like, it just it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Now, what, do you remember what the average water bill, like, or do you know what the average water bill for those tenants is now? Like, what are they paying? What, basically, what did their rent go up in, in their heads? Uh, we're expecting about $45. Per month, per unit, like they'll be paying? Yeah. Okay, and right. you didn't lose any, but yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's phenomenal. I love that. Well, are they getting any increased convenience by actually having the laundry units or the washer and dryer in their units? Uh, of course, yeah. I mean, the way we picked, uh, the way we framed the washer and dryers is we sent out a flyer saying this is an option now. And it wasn't, it wasn't about, hey, look at this look at this fancy dryer that you could own. It was like, <laughs> let's talk about all the negatives of coin laundry, you know, waiting, you go in there and someone else left their laundry in there. And so you can't use it. Or, you know, you have to stay home and time your laundry to be able to get it. So we focused on the negatives of coin laundry to, to start pitching the washers and dryers. But right, that's right where we are currently in the value add process. So we've already done the the submeter of the water, and now we're just implementing, like just this week, starting to do those washers and dryers. That's awesome, man. I would gladly trade $45 to have a washer and dryer in my own unit. I mean, I treat my washing machine as my hamper and my dryer as my as my closet, basically. So having it right next to my bedroom would be really ideal. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I, I, I totally, <laughs> I think I think that was probably one of the biggest keys there was giving people laundry. Yeah, because I mean, I would do the same thing. If I didn't have, if I had to go to a laundry center and go use coin-op laundry and all that drama involved with that, and somebody were like, hey, no, for 45 bucks a month, you can have it in your unit. I mean, it, it's a Dumb. no-brainer to me. Yeah, easily. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So, uh, speaking of the washer and dryers, like, I mean, are you, did you just provide every unit with one or, or how did that work? Yeah. So, just from what you guys just said, I want to clarify. So, the submetering of the water happened and we expected their bills to be about $45. And then on top of that, they have the <laughs> option to rent a washer and dryer. So <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like, uh, hey, we submetered your water and now everybody gets a washer and dryer. So sure. they are paying their water, which now gives us the opportunity to rent them an additional washer and dryer. But they can um, buy a washer and dryer of their own as well, right? Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. They have they have the options. And even for the first few for the first while we're going to leave the coin laundry in place. So it's not like, hey, look at all these changes. I hate this place and we're out of here. So we're leaving the coin laundry and giving them the option to rent these washers and dryers for I think the price we decided on was thirty nine dollars a month. And that's actually lower than the norm. I, the normal is, is, is more than that. But what we saw was the dryers in the common areas are actually taking a lot of electric to run. So dropping our price on the rentals will actually shift the dryer electric use into the unit, which is on their meter. 
And so there was cost factored into that. So there's there's a decent amount of thought that went into it. But yeah, just to clarify, there's two costs on there. And we only buy those washers and dryers after someone has signed the lease addendum that says, yeah, I want it for a year. Very cool. I, I love that. I love that you, you know, there's so many ways that you added value in this thing. Is there, is there anything else you did besides the water and the storage rooms that you're renting out there? Anything else you did to either cut expenses or increase your income? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't expect to have any rental increase, but our resident managers who who is working there has pushed some of the lower, I think we were averaging at like right at 700 per unit rents. And she has pushed that up about $10 a unit, which we didn't even expect, but $10 a unit is significant. You know, it's an eight cap is what it's trading at. So that valuation has a big effect, just even the $10 per unit. Other things we did, we put in LED lighting to drop utility expenses. We renegotiated a lot of the operating expenses like landscaping or snow removal, things like that. The previous owner was pretty hands-off and left the resident manager to kind of handle it on her own. And that resulted in her seeking out some of like the she didn't have she didn't have vendors to go source to so she would if a toilet broke and she didn't know how to fix it or didn't know who could fix it she would call Home Depot and get the Home Depot people to come and fix it so <laughs> we saw that that's a premium you're paying the, the top dollar for those people and and Home Depot's convenience so we saw an opportunity to decrease maintenance decrease other costs around the property like grass cutting i think the we took it from 6800 a year down to almost 2500 a year just in landscaping so Things across the board, but the main value adds were in the sub-metering and what came from that. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so you mentioned resident manager. For those people who don't know what that is, what is that? I mean, how does that work? Do you give free rent and what is that? So the way we have that structured, well, first describe what it is. She lives on property and handles the day-to-day property management of that 42 unit and the leasing and any maintenance requests. And so at this point, we employ a full-time maintenance guy and she is a part-time resident manager. So the structure of it is she gets free rent plus a salary every single month. And then what we've decided to do since we're self-managing, have our own separate management company, one thing we implemented was our goal was 93% economic occupancy. And anything over that 93% mark she gets 15% of it. So last month, she actually hit 100% economic occupancy, which seems like impossible in the in the multifamily industry, but she did it. So she gets 15% of any of the additional income over the 93% tier. And so what it did was it helped align our interests with hers, and she loved it. So she got a, a nice bonus. I love that. I've never heard of somebody doing a uh, sort of performance-based bonus to a resident manager to incentivize them. You know, I've, I've had a couple of resident managers and, you know, one was great. One was, you know, rough, but yeah, I've not, I didn't do that at all in mine. I'm, I'm really like rethinking that now. I'm like, man, I should have probably done something like that. Cause yeah, the one guy that wasn't that great, like, I don't know, he didn't really care about who he put in there or how he put him in. And it was really hard to manage that. And so how, how do you guys, I mean, how do you train this person or were they already pretty much trained how to do this? How do, how do you get them to do what you want? So she, this was the resident manager that the previous owner was using. And when we sat down with her to interview her during our due diligence, the first thing we noticed is she had tremendous tenant relations. So everyone liked her, but she was also stern. 
enable, you know, people didn't walk all over her, but she had good rapport with all of the tenants. And what she lacked was a system or some kind of structure. The previous owner kind of was just MIA and very passive. And what we had from our other units was a very outlined system. We used Buildium. Uh, We've been running it for a while, so we knew how it all worked. And we actually have a operations manual all typed out, systems, procedures, everything that we could just hand off to her. And then with a little bit of coaching and training, she picked it up, no problem. And with that direction, coupled with her tenant relations and the relationship she has with all the residents, it was, it's, she's perfect for the job. So we couldn't be happier. And those systems and procedures are very important. Uh, the point we're at right now, we have kind of developed those far past the 64 units that we're in because we're preparing to scale into even larger stuff. So it's running pretty seamlessly at this point because we've, we've over-prepared for the future. And even though we're still pretty small, it's, uh, we're running like a large company. Yeah, I love that. Very, very cool. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, to get six months of rent ready for $1. Um, I have a quick question, just about something kind of, I don't know, out in left field a little bit, but you mentioned it earlier and I, I wanted to make sure we touched on it before we leave today. You mentioned when you were looking for this apartment complex, you were like calling owners and you said, I just find, I found phone numbers and I would call them. Do you have any mm-hmm. tips for people listening? Because this is something that, you know, they can works for apartments or single family houses. How do you get somebody's phone number? If you look up their information on the county assessor's website, how do you get their phone number? So it's different everywhere. So I've, I've had this question asked to me a lot of times. And in, in our county, uh, if you have a rental property, you're required to register it. Um, and on the auditor site, mm-hmm. that registration page is uploaded as a PDF. Well, part of that registration page is an emergency phone number. Uh, and so that's usually their phone number. So I don't think it's really supposed to be used for that, but that's how I get their phone numbers. It's different everywhere. So like in Georgia, you know, when we're looking, it's, it's different. I can't, I can't just snatch them off the auditor site like I do in Cincinnati. Yeah, but still, that's, that's very cool. All right, sorry. I know that was just kind of a random off-topic question, but uh, I, I want to make sure we got it. Okay, so last thing I want to cover, I think, before we move on uh, to the fire round is the, the finances behind this property. I mean, you kind of mentioned it a, a few times now, but let's kind of nail that down. So what did you, what was the property like listed at or what did you buy it for then? And uh, what did you end up doing for down payment? What was your mortgage like? How's all that look? Okay, so that was a learning process in itself and a, a lot of money in our eyes. So we were we were nervous but excited. So what we did was we built this relationship and I and I attribute it closing and going through a lot to the relationship we have with our portfolio lender. Most of the business we've done in borrowing and banking has been through this one lender. They gave us our first shot. You can hear that story on the previous podcast. But we started with them and the purchase price, we had it under contract for 2.15 million, I think. Yeah, 2.15 million and we wanted to put 20% down, but everywhere we went, they said, no, this is your first large one. You need, you need 25% down. We'll give you 75 LTV. And I was pushing hard for 80, 80 LTV, 20% down and ended up, make a long story short, I ended up going with the bank that we like and have built a long relationship with. And I got them to go to the 80% LTV. And we did that by negotiating the 5% difference, so the, from 75 to 80 LTV was a $100,000 difference. And what I said was, I will open a CD at your bank, put $100,000 into that CD, lock it in for a year, 
but then my money gets released after a year, but you go to ADL TV, that gave them the possibility to then go lend that $100,000 out. So the board approved it. So we got our ADL TV, we get our $100,000 back in a year to go you know, into the next deal or whatever we want to do with it. That's amazing. I've never heard that. Yeah, the one thing with that, that they, I don't know if they thought of it, but we did. We then had an asset in this CD that we could then secure a business line of credit against. So we actually, what we did was we put a hundred thousand into the CD, and it's a very simple process since they they have the CD at their bank. But it's since they have the CD, it's very good collateral for them. So we opened a business line of credit against that CD, which they'll <laughs> lend 90, 90 LTV on CDs, and it's at three percent. So it's kind of like oh, we could just get that money back right away if we need it. Now we haven't used it; it's just sitting there, but. It was kind of a no-brainer to get to that ADL TV. So we borrowed from them at a uh, 4.25%. It was a 5.5 arm, but it's actually amortized over 25 years, which helped with our cash flow. And it's a 20-year term, so it just adjusts every five, but it won't expire until year 20. Um, and then we also negotiated down the uh, payoff period. So there's no payoff penalty after 12 months because we're shooting for a 24 refinance. So uh, lots of terms in commercial. It's one of the reasons I love commercial is you can get creative on pretty much every level. And I really like getting creative on the financing and things like that. So that was the end result, but uh, it it worked out really well. And uh, I think the day it closed, I was like, someone lent us $1.8 million. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be a great feeling. So uh, you said that you're planning on refi after two years. Are you going to roll that into another similar property, take your wife on vacation, or what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Probably rolled into another property. Me and my wife have done things on the, on the side where this, we just moved into our fifth house in four years. So I've been doing living flips <laughs> with her. And so we live comfortably off of that and, and her income. But if we do a refi, most likely it will go into a portion of the syndications down the road. So we still have a decent amount of money sitting on the sidelines prepared to invest in our own syndications. But through this refi, it will just kind of build that pot up even more. That's awesome, man. Because especially because, I mean, nothing gives other outside investors more confidence than seeing that you're willing to put your own money into these deals and that you believe in it fully. I'm sure that's going to help your business a lot in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, what do you think that property is going to be worth when it, when you get it appraised in two years from now to go with the refinance? I think we had it coming in at like two point seven five, somewhere right in there. Awesome. Uh, it's, it was right at the break even where we would be returning a hundred percent of our funds, and that's you know that's analyzing at the same cap rates everything. So as long as the market cooperates for the next eighteen months, we should be good. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very, very cool. Again, that's one of the reasons I love, yeah, apartment complexes because you can do fun things like that. I mean, essentially what you're doing is like the, you know, the Burr strategy that we talk a lot about, the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. You're basically doing that on a large scale. Uh, That's pretty much what value-added apartment complex investing is. So you can refinance it, pull the cash out, go do it again and again and again. And and, uh, there's some fun creative financing with the commercial departments as you were talking about. Right. And you're dead on it. It is the Burr strategy. And we've been doing the Burr strategy since the very beginning. So one point I wanted to, the one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast is because I want to inspire people to get started, but also bring a reality to it, uh, to real estate investments saying it's, you know, it hasn't been easy, but it's very possible for everyone. So 
I have not had a W-2 job. In five years, we went, our first house we bought for 14500 We did the burst strategy on it. We rolled into the next few. We rolled into the next few. And five years later, we bought a $2 million apartment building. And we don't have any other outside income. We use the real estate money to snowball. And that snowball, it feels like it's getting pretty big. So I can anticipate the next five years being even better. And I just wanted to drive that home to all the people who are listening and thinking, oh, I can't do this. Or how would I ever do this? And it's like, we, we did that only through real estate. We didn't, you know, we don't have side jobs where we're doctors, lawyers, and we don't have, we didn't have a ton of money to start. Uh, started at uh, 21 and uh, now 26 and it, it has grown quickly. So I, by doing this podcast, I hope to inspire others while also being real about it, that it wasn't like, oh yeah, I just bought this house and all of a sudden it was easy. And, and then we were buying million dollar apartment complexes. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's cool. And I think your, your story is awesome. Yeah. Every time we talk, I'm just blown away at like your ambition yet. Like how this is like, not something, it's not like this is overly complicated stuff that nobody can do. I mean, anybody can do this if they just put their mind to it and, and, you know, yeah. and work it. I mean, everything works if you, if you work it. So I think that's awesome. Well, cool. Well, hey, why don't we uh, shift gears here, start to wrap things up, and head on over to our world-famous Fire Round. It's time for the Fire Round. The world-famous Fire Round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums. So let's get into this. Question number one. Uh, let's see. What's a good one here? I like this one a lot. If you were just starting out and only had $15,000 saved... How would you start? Ooh, uh, in today's market, if you're able to get bank financing, I would buy an inexpensive rental with leverage and sit on it for a year, getting some experience and figuring it out, seeing if you wanted to purchase more. So uh, leverage is easier to get now, but $15,000 in at least the markets I'm in can, can get you a, a decent little rental, single family. So that's how I would take it. Okay. All right. And as a former handyman, what is a skill that every real estate investor should know, and what is one that they should absolutely leave to the professionals? Oh, I love that Ooh. question. Hmm. Well, that's hard because we kind of took it to the extreme. Like, uh, we would we one of our five unit apartment complex we rewired out to the telephone pole and put in all new panels and replumbed it <laughs> and everything. So we were kind of got to the stage of more than handyman, and that was a huge yeah. part of our success. It, it was doing that stuff, but just as a handyman. Learn how to learn how to cut a clean line with a paintbrush without some tape because you're going to be painting, <laughs> painting a lot. So that would be for the handyman. But if you're going the next stage up, it might transition. Cool. Yeah, uh, I, the, the paint line thing that, that that's very true. <laughs> My wife did all that for years. I mean, she's probably done a hundred miles of paint lines, you know, before we right. got, got her out of that side of the business. <laughs> so she was my she was my lead paint line drawer. All right, uh, next question. How can somebody brand new get into apartment complexes? You know, you went, you went that journey, you kind of snowballed into them. But how does somebody, if they wanted to do that as their first deal, how would you recommend them getting there? I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend it being the first. I, I, I like the idea of building up some kind of track record before you enter in. So the only way I would say do it as your first is if you have enough money on your own to take that risk and, and learn and buy it without bringing in other people's money. So if you... If you just have a lot of money and savings or, or in, and you want to invest in apartment buildings, go for it. If you don't, uh, 
kind of grow into it because I think it could be too much risk and too much risk to bring other people in if you don't know what you're doing. All right. Good answer. Awesome. So this one might be hard because you've been doing real estate your entire life. But okay. if you weren't a real estate investor, what would you be doing? I like that. Not too hard. Uh, back in high school, I really, really loved furniture building and woodworking. So I was really good at doing that. And I always thought I would run a business building furniture. And then like around 16, I think I went to Ikea for the first time. And I was like, there's no way I can compete with these people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that idea got pushed out. So uh, for enjoyment, I would be running like a custom woodworking uh, shop. Awesome. That's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, that was the world famous fire round. Now let's wrap up the show by heading to the more famous. Famous four. Question, question number one of the famous four. What is your favorite? And again, we asked you this last time, but you maybe have a different answer this time. Or, uh, you know, maybe not. Number one, what's your favorite real estate book? So I hate to flatter you too much, but the, <laughs> uh, the book on managing rental properties, and let me say yeah. why is because I really believe that management makes or breaks the investment completely. So whether it's an apartment complex, whether it's a single family, you can drive those things into the ground with the wrong management. So the content in there is what will determine if your investment is successful or not. So specifically real estate, that's my suggestion. Wow. That's awesome. That's the book on managing awesome. rental properties. And I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> Written by Brandon Turner and my beautiful, awesome, smart wife, Heather. And she does not teach you how to draw paint lines in there, but she does teach you how she manages all of our properties. So anyway, pick it up, biggerpockets.com slash bookstore. All right. Wow. That was very awesome. flattering. Nobody's said that book yet, I don't think. So that makes me feel really good. That's, that's awesome. What about a favorite business book? Not necessarily real estate, but is there anything that you like or would recommend to people listening? Yeah. So recently with us growing and trying to scale to implement all these systems, I read Traction recently. And it's, it's a lot like E-Myth, but for me, it resonated more of like, I can, I can implement this in our business. So I don't know who wrote it, but the book's title is Traction. And I really enjoyed that for systems and procedures. I don't know who wrote it either, but Josh Dorkin gave me that book right when I started here. Yeah. <laughs> pockets. It's a great book. Yeah, my buddy uh, Nathan Brooks uh, is reading, like, obsessed with that book right now. And I, I've read, like, half of it. I haven't finished it. I need to get in there and finish it. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of like the E Myth, just a little more in depth, I feel like, of uh, specifically do this, do this, do this, where E Myth was a little yeah. more theoretical on why you should do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cool. All right. Number three. This is your question, Dave. Uh, oh, <laughs> you want me to, you want me to ask? <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you know uh, what, what it is, are, but we're going to make Dave ask. What it. are your hobbies? Uh, you said you live, enjoy a simple lifestyle, but what do you do when you're not doing real estate? So I do enjoy a simple lifestyle, and part of that is the house. I said this is our, me and my wife's fifth house. This is the house that we're settling down in. So I bought a property on some land, and we can't see anyone else's house around us. And so my fun time is just out playing in the woods, playing in the yard. We, we have chickens and a garden. And so I enjoy being outside and uh, comparing Cincinnati to the Atlanta weather. I'm enjoying that. And, and <laughs> outside having fires, gardening, playing with the animals, cutting down trees. Awesome. That's, that's my fun time. That's cool. I like it. All right. My final question of the day. Jared, what do you believe sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Okay. So I write for the Bigger Pockets blog, and my most recent one was was the title of it was that question. I read that and post. It was so, a fan, fantastic post. 
which we'll link yeah, to in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 205. So, yeah, please do, because it's yeah. too long for me to try to explain <laughs> here on the podcast. But really what it boiled down to was lots of people answer that question in different ways, and they're all right. So it could be hustle or grit or perseverance. It could be metrics, tracking systems. All of them are right, but they come at different times to be the most important part of your business. But all of them, as you build your business, are important throughout the life cycle. So maybe you're beginning and hustle and grit is what will get you going. But then as you build your business, you have to add in different traits. So it could be you have, you have hustle and grit, and then you have to persevere through the chaos that hustle and grit creates. And then later on, you have to learn how to implement those systems. You know, I talked about our systems. It's not like day one, we were even thinking of systems. That would have just been nonsense because really all we were trying to figure out how to do was buy a house. So that's what we were focused on in the beginning. And what sets the successful apart is a lot uh, it's a lot of things all together. And if you go to that blog, you'll you'll read the answers of all the other 200 guests and, and kind of my story behind each of those points. And the best answer I can give is it's a lot of things in combination. Fantastic. Great. Fantastic. All right. Last question, man. Then we'll let you get out of here. Where can people find out more about you? Bigger Pockets is a good one. So I'm pretty active on there, uh, helping out with the blog. And then I try to stay on the forums. You can reach me there. Our company has a website, SNS Capital Group. So Stephen, Nancy Stephen, Capital Group dot com. And either of those will work great. And you'll and you'll find me there. I'll be happy to help anybody out. Again, that's why I do the podcast is hopefully help people out. So that's feel awesome. free to reach out. I love it. I love it. Well, very cool. great, man. Thanks for coming by. I will uh, have to check back in with you and hear how that syndication business is going in a couple more months. Yeah, hopefully we got something off the ground. Awesome. All right, Jared. See you around. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right. And that is our show with Jared Sturm. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I know I definitely did. Like I said, that at the beginning, that commercial loan negotiation topic was just mind-blowing. I love that. I can't believe they were able to accomplish that. I mean, that's the difference between buying a 42-unit property and something a lot smaller. He just in that sm- seemingly small little thing was able to exponentially grow his real estate business. Yeah, yeah, huge like that. And I love that they're using, you know, the value add stuff. They're they're figuring all those creative ways to make more income and decrease their expenses and I don't know, it really makes me like I need to sit down and really look at my apartment and say, you know, am I really maximizing my income the most I can or am I really cutting expenses where I should be or can I do more cuz I I'm sure I can do more and Jared just proved that I'm sure we all could. Yeah, it's awesome. He's a great example of someone who has used his creativity and previous experience and brought it to his new business and really maximized it. I'm also really interested to follow up with him in a couple months and see how this syndication thing is going. I don't know, you know more about the podcast to me, but I think moving to a, a new market must be pretty tough. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm sure it is. Like I, 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 like I know my market really well, you know, Denver really well. And I know, you know, Western Washington, but like, yeah, if I were to go jump into Atlanta or something like that, like that's, that's a big hurdle. So Absolutely. It, I feel like he's smart to move down there though. Like yeah. if you go and walk around, ride your bike, you know, get a feel for the neighborhood, yep. it would help, but we'll definitely have to uh, maybe bring him back a third time and see how yeah. that goes. I think that'd be cool. I also want to bring up one more point that you, you brought up during this show. I thought was fantastic. Was this idea of like, you know, he, I don't know. It wasn't that he like knew certain things. It was like he took action. I don't remember the exact phrase you said earlier, but basically, like, it was like I'm trying to remember exactly how you phrased it. Uh, but 
yeah. Anyway, it was basically like he 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 just went out there and started doing things like with the cold calling, right? Like it was just like I'm gonna go out there and just do this on day to day. It's not like I'm just gonna let these deals fall in my lap, whatever. Like wait for them to come. They just they're there because I went from the luck, right? You you phrase oh, that like yeah, luck, yeah. right? How, yeah, how did you, you phrase make that your like? own luck? Yeah, you yeah, make your own luck. Basically. Yeah, yeah, right. Because like everyone's like, oh, we got lucky. This happens all the time in life. You're like, oh, yep. you got lucky because this happened to you. But you have to put yourself in a position yep. to get lucky. Yep. And he's a great example of that because someone was going to get that deal, and because yep. he was calling people every single day, it was him. And kudos to him because he got he found himself a really good one. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I just love that topic of yes. I mean, almost everything we do is luck. I mean. Every deal I've ever got has a bit of luck involved, but it's there because I put myself, and you're the exact same way, I know. Like, yeah, absolutely. You put yourself in the situations, and you're going to get lucky. Definitely. Well, cool. All right, well, All right, sweet. let's get out of here, I guess. I don't know. You got anything else? People should leave us rating reviews in uh, iTunes, of course. As yeah, please do. Me. And uh, subscribe and- to our channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you click the subscribe button. Uh, that helps us out, and you get to watch all the future videos. And I don't know. What else you got? That's about it. I think next time we'll be recording from the new Bigger Pockets office, which is pretty exciting. That's pretty we are exciting. moving tomorrow, so you'll have a new scenery for those of you watching on YouTube. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, <laughs> last question before we get out of here. What are you watching these days on Netflix or on uh, on uh, television? What's your show? What a prescient question. Um, <laughs> have you ever watched The Americans? No. Oh, it's awesome. So it's this former FX show, or I think it's still going, but they have it on Amazon Prime for free. It takes place in the 80s, and it's about these Russian spies who have like ingrained themselves into American life. It's awesome. I'm completely addicted, and I've turned a couple people in the office onto it as well. That's what are awesome. you watching? I'll check that one out. Uh, what am I watching? I started watching Westworld, a new HBO show. That was good. How is that? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's big. It's like a it's big world. And you know, a little bit sci-fi, a little bit western. It's yeah, it looks a little stuff. creepy. A little creepy. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little creepy, but that's all right. And uh, my wife has been obsessing over the Gilmore Girls. You know, coming back and uh, obviously, I saw it. That's you're not, you're not watching that. I'm not too. watching that, but I'm listening. Down the yes, days. <laughs> I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of it in the background. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's get out of here. Sweet. All right. All right. For the Bigger Pockets podcast, my name is Brandon and Dave Meyer. Signing off. Later. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R, today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.